0: Uh, So Luke chapter 6, starting uh, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, Offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, Do not withhold your tunic either. Give to anyone who begs from you, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will put into your lap. For with this measure, you will use it for with the measure you use, it will be used back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see a speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out that speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. Amen.
1: Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word to humanity. We thank you particularly for this part of your word, which gives us the words of Jesus Christ your son and Lord we pray that as we think on these things as we discuss them now that your word would work its way into our hearts that we would have soft hearts that we'd willingly and gladly receive your word and then put it into practice in our lives in Jesus name amen so what is a Christian like What you'd answer to that question, I guess, would be based on your experience of meeting Christian people in the past. There could be a whole range of uh, things that you might answer. Some people, I guess, would say that Christians are kind of wet blankets, soft, people whose existence is based around weak tea and crumpets and jumble sales, and people who wouldn't say boo to a goose, although I'm not sure why you would say boo to a goose. Perhaps you've met some Christians like that, but there are plenty of others and perhaps even more who would say that Christians are harsh, judgmental moralists, people who see themselves as superior to others, who take a self-righteous stand on everything and love to put people down. Perhaps that's been your experience, I've certainly met some of those Can I encourage you this morning, whatever your previous experience of Christian people has been, whether you would call yourself a Christian or whether you absolutely wouldn't, can I encourage you to listen to the words of Jesus as he speaks about what Christians should be like, about what his his disciples should behave like, about how they should treat others. But well, that would be much better, I think. That's what Jesus is doing in these verses that we've had read to us. He's giving us ethics for his disciples. He's teaching his followers what they must be like. Now, these words come from a sermon that Jesus gave early on in his ministry in Galilee. It's sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain, uh, which is to distinguish it from its more famous brother, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And last week, in the first part of his sermon, Jesus set expectations for his disciples. He told them the life that they could expect if they followed him. And he said that it would be the good life, the blessed life, the happy life. But that that happiness would not come in the way that people in the world expect. He was quite clear that following him meant both happiness and hardship and persecution. Just get a taste of that. Just have a look back over the page to verse 22 with me. Uh, we saw this last time. Verse 22 Jesus said to his disciples, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. That's on account of Jesus. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. So that's the expectation. Jesus is clear right up front about the cost of following him. Hardship and persecution is inevitable. And then Jesus warns those in his sermon about those who will not listen to him and follow him. And now in our verses he returns to that previous topic and he talks about how we should live when that persecution comes. So he set our expectations as disciples and now we have the fundamental ethics for the people of God, how we should live in a world that is full of hostility towards Christian people and is full of sin. And Jesus puts this to us in two parts which is how we're going to look at it this morning. What will mark out disciples of Jesus is two things. Number one, verse 27 to 36, a radical love of others that astounds the world. And then two, verse 37 to 42, a radical view of self that wins people over. And you'll see on the back of the service sheet, uh, those two headings are there if you'd like to make notes. So let's take the first one, verse 27 to 36 now it's quite hard to communicate just how radical and astonishing the things that Jesus says here are what he says in verse 27 and verse 35 is sometimes called the hardest commandments, or perhaps the highest ethic and it is truly radical love not your family your children, not your friends, not your neighbours, love your enemies. If you live on this earth long enough and you will find that you will have enemies of one degree or another. It might be personal enemies. It could be a difficult colleague who dislikes you or a neighbour who has shunned you could be a family member who treats you harshly or a former friend who has turned on you. Now we've got our young people in this morning. Perhaps you could think of someone at school or at university, someone who says nasty things to you or nasty things about you to others. Perhaps the hardest thing about school life is not the work, but the people who can be so cruel. So these are personal enemies. But then there are more public enemies, aren't there? There's the government that opposes what you believe in sometimes. Government that makes laws that are unjust or wicked. And that can be true here in Scotland. But think, think perhaps of our gospel partners in East Asia and the powers that would seek to shut their churches down Or who would interrogate their brothers and sisters before locking them up. Perhaps we could even think about political or national enemies. During times of conflict or incidents of terrorism. In a world full of evil and sin. Enemies abound. Now what's your normal reaction to your enemies? Well. There are three, I think, possible reactions that we might take. We might hide, we might hate, or we might hurt. Hide, hate, or hurt. So number one, we might hide. For many of us, we will simply just hide from our enemies. We, someone goes for us and we will run from them. We'll avoid them. That difficult neighbor or colleague, you just stay out of their way. They come into sight and you leave. You hide. Hater's going to hate, you say, and you try and ignore them. Maybe that's how you tend to respond. You hide from your enemies. Or two, your response is to hate them. Now that's not to do something to them as such. It's just kind of to seethe with anger in your heart towards them. You don't do anything about it. And because of that, you sort of feel like you're, you're taking the high road. You're not stooping to their level. And actually, you're quite proud about that. But I wonder if then you speak nastily about them to others. You point out how awful they are and how badly they treat you. And perhaps when they make mistakes, you ridicule them for it. Of course, that kind of hatred, it, it sort of rots you from the inside, doesn't it? but perhaps that's how you've dealt with enemies in the past. So you can hide from them, or you can hate them inwardly. And here's the third option, you can hurt them. Fight back, lash out, either verbally or perhaps even physically. You curse me, I curse you back. You abuse me, I abuse you. You hit me, I smash your face in. You take from me, and I make you pay. And that, in a sense, that sort of makes sense to us, doesn't it? It feels like it's just. It feels fair. And after all, we might think, well, people would just walk all over us, wouldn't we? If we, wouldn't they? If we didn't just stand up for ourselves? So this is how we react to enemies: we hide or we hate. Or we hurt. But no one, no one does what Jesus says here. Love your enemies. I mean, really? It's ridiculous, isn't it? Isn't it foolish to do this? But that's what he says. Let me read it again, verse 27. But I say to you who hear... Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, or really who demands of you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Isn't what Jesus says just so radical, so different from our normal responses? So if we're to do this, well, we can't hide from our enemies, can we? You have to stay in the presence of your enemies to love them. Now, the great reformer Martin Luther in the 16th century, he had plenty of enemies for standing up for Christ. This is what he said. He said, the kingdom of Christ is to be in the midst of your enemies. And he who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit among roses and lilies, not with the bad people, but the devout people. Now listen to what Luther says to those who would hide away. O you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ. If Christ had done what you are doing, who would ever have been spared? See, hiding is not an option if we're to be obedient to Jesus here. And neither is that kind of passive, seething hatred. See, what Jesus commands its not passive, is it? It's not just let this happen to you it's responding actively and positively towards enemies see what he says he says bless them pray for them give to them freely it's not passively hating it's actively moving towards them in love then of course it's not hating sorry not hurting either if someone strikes you on the cheek Do not retaliate, offer them the other one also. If they take your stuff, absorb the cost. Don't make them pay. In fact, give them more. Treat them with active kindness. Verse 31. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Now, at first glance, this looks like weakness, doesn't it? but it's not weakness now it takes real strength of character to live this way in fact it's far harder to do what Jesus says here than to react like everyone else does to hide away or to hate or to hurt and next Jesus reminds us that this is not the way of the world at all, verse 32 if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. See, the world works on reciprocity. Give to get back. And that's it but God does not work like the world. Here's the motivation Jesus gives to live this way, verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Now listen closely to that verse. See so that verse holds the key to having this radical ethic built into your life. Do you see? God sees and looks with favour on this kind of conduct. Great is re- your reward in heaven. Why? Because in living this way, we are showing that we are children of the Heavenly Father. That we have the likeness of our Heavenly Father. Because this is how God loves. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. When we hear that, well, we know, don't we, that He's talking about us. That this is how we have been loved, that we have been shown divine mercy, kindness towards ungrateful and miserable sinners such as ourselves. We're reminded of what Paul says in Romans, aren't we? That while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. This is how we've been loved. And so, verse 36, be merciful even as your father is merciful. So Christian brothers and sisters will you love people like this that cold colleague that nasty neighbor that sniping schoolfriend and when persecution really comes like it has in other parts of the world will you love the one who casts you from your family Or the one who takes your job from you? Or the one who takes your freedom away from you? Will you love them then? As the Father has loved you. The Father who is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And merciful to those who don't deserve it. It's pretty radical, isn't it? This is the radical ethic of love that Jesus gives to his disciples as they live in a world that will be hostile to them on account of the Son of Man. It goes against all our natural tendencies, doesn't it? And how we want to react to being ill-treated. And so no one can do this unless they have first themselves received the love of Christ towards them and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who transforms them. But when we live this way, with this kind of radical love and grace towards our enemies, well, that will astound a watching world. Now let's move to the second part of this sermon. Verse 37 to 42. Now some, some enemies that we have, they come to us just because... We're followers of Jesus Christ, no other reason. It kind of goes with the territory. But sadly, often, the church and those who call themselves Christians have unnecessarily made new enemies. And they've done so by their judgmental attitude. That's what Jesus takes aim at here in verse 37 Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now these verses can be misunderstood, and they often are. The Bible's very clear that some things are sinful. It states that plainly. And Jesus, we've been told repeatedly in Luke, has come to deal with sin. He's come to call people to repent, and and he's come to forgive people's sins through his death, and to enable people to live free from sin as they live by the spirit he gives them. Jesus, therefore, he wants his disciples to help others deal with their sins, to put their sins to death. And so, Jesus here, he's not he's not ruling out all judging. We need to be discerning, we need to see what is good and what is evil, and we are to challenge our brothers and sisters in love when they sin so that they might turn from it. So Jesus isn't saying, as the world often says, look, no one can say anything to anyone as if somehow no one can ever tell anyone else that what they've done is wrong. That's the spirit of our age. Each individual decides what's right and wrong for them, And no one can judge another. Jesus isn't saying that here. Actually, when you think about it, he can't be saying that here because he is in fact himself saying that this attitude and this behaviour is wrong. So what is it that he is taking aim at? It's not judging as such, that, that sort of seeing that others are sinning. It's judgmentalism. It's the severe criticism and condemnation of others, especially when it's marked by self-righteous superiority and a blindness to one's own faults. I said there's a better way. We, re- we refuse to judge and condemn, for we know that there is a judge in heaven who rules over us. He says, judge not, and you will not be judged. See, we see ourselves, we have this view of ourselves as deserving judgment. And so instead we forgive and we give, show generosity and grace towards fellow sinners. He's echoing the verses that have come before. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. The measure we use shall be measured to us. Now, Jesus here, though, is putting his finger on something, isn't he? Something that all of us are guilty of, but perhaps especially religious people are guilty of. And it's this that we are very, very good at seeing other people's sins. And at the same time, we are very, very bad at seeing our own. We're blind to our own sins. He told them also a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? So you can't judge other people's lack of sight at their own sin because you're blind too. You know, imagine someone who angrily criticizes another for their anger or someone who gossips to a neighbor about that gossip over the road. So someone who can't see themselves and their own sin correctly, well, they're no help at all. They, they can never help an, another to deal with their sin, and that's what Jesus wants his disciples to do. He goes on, "If you, you who sin in this way, if you're their teacher, you'll only make them like yourself. Verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher It's similar to the picture before, just as blind guides lead blind people into a pit. So proud, judgmental teachers will produce the same in their students. A judgmental attitude is no way to help people deal with sin. It does more damage than good. In fact, it's like this, verse 41. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye? but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, when I was in my mid-twenties, just before um, Joe and I got married, I managed to get a bit of grit in my eye. And I did what everybody does. I went on (laughs) that, which is what you shouldn't do. And uh, in doing so, I managed to cut my eyeball. I got infected, and it was really painful, and we were very concerned what the wedding photos would look like. Now, I know some people are squeamish, so I'm not going to tell you... Uh, what the doctor did to sort it out, Uh, but it was not very comfortable, let me tell you. If you want to know, I'm very happy to share the gory details afterwards. The point is that eyes are delicate, and removing specks from them takes great care and accuracy. What you don't want, if you've got something in your eye, Is an idiot who says, Here, let me help you. Well, he has a massive shard of wood sticking out of his own eye. It's kind of a a funny situation that Jesus is describing here. His point is really simple. See, it's the problem is that, that not that this person can't see at all, it's that he can't see as well as he thinks he can. And in particular, he can't see himself correctly. Our sins seem insignificant when we look at other people's. We think we're sorted and other people are a mess. We love to point out that other people have messed it up when we will not view our own lives with the same level of scrutiny. And Jesus says, take a good look at yourself. The Christian should have such a view of self, such a view of themselves, that they spend much more time scrutinising their own sins, confessing and repenting and praying for their own sanctification, much more time doing that than they do trying to sort other people out. It really is a radical view of self. But if we are like this, with this level of humility and self-reflection, Then and only then can we win others over. Can we help others work out how to deal with the sin in their lives? And that is actually the goal. Just notice at the end of the parable, both the log and the speck are removed. The humble, repentant person can actually help the other. And the other person is far more willing, of course, to accept that help from someone with this level of self-awareness and humility. So there we are. The two great ethics for disciples of Jesus. A radical love of others that astounds the world and a radical view of self that wins people over. For those of us here this morning who would call themselves Christian, let me just ask us, are we like this? Truly, are we like this? Do we love others, even our enemies? And do we refuse to judge others, instead spending time looking at our own sins before we seek to help others deal with theirs? But perhaps you're not yet a Christian. Let me ask you this. What do you make of Jesus? What do you think about what Jesus calls his disciples to live like? See, isn't this radical way of life attractive And you know, Jesus Christ is not asking his disciples to do anything that he was not prepared to do himself. He never once called people to repent of sins that he was committing. He was never a hypocrite. He was without sin. And so he's the only person who ever lived who could see clearly to remove sin from the eyes of others. In fact, he sees people so clearly, down to the last speck. And yet, read through Luke's gospel, read the whole account, and he consistently treats people with grace and with generosity and with kindness, and helps them to repent of their sins and turn to God in faith. He once said that he came to judge not to judge the world, but to save it. And what about loving enemies? It's one thing to say it, isn't it, it's easy to say, but who can actually do it? Well, in Luke 23, at the end of this gospel, Jesus is surrounded by enemies. He is cursed and abused. He is spat on, beaten, flogged, struck in the face. His cloak is stripped from him and his tunic too. Everything is taken from him before he's placed on a Roman cross and lifted up to be crucified among criminals for the sins of the world, though he had done nothing wrong. And in that moment, this is what he says to his enemies. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Behold Jesus Christ. He's the only righteous one, yet as he is being murdered, he offers forgiveness to his killers. He loves his enemies. And he loves you. And it is this same forgiveness that he still offers to people today. And he offers you his forgiveness if you will place your faith in him. So can I urge you today, please respond to that offer. There is no greater love and no greater offer in the world. Let's pray as we close. Our Father, we thank you for Luke. We thank you that he has recorded these words of Jesus Christ in Galilee all those years ago. And Lord God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he not only spoke these things, but lived these things. That he was always consistent with his words. That he always did what he preached. We thank you for his grace towards sinners. Thank you that he came to save And Lord God, we thank you too that he loved his enemies and died for them to forgive them and bring them to God. We thank you that he did that for us, that we who were enemies have been reconciled by the death of the Son of God by faith. And yet, Lord God, as we've seen the ethics that Jesus has for his disciples, we are so aware that we fall short, that there have been many times when we've been judgmental, There have been many times when we've hidden from our enemies or hated them or even hurt them. And so, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness and we ask for your grace that by your Holy Spirit you would transform our hearts and our lives so we would obey Jesus' commands. In his name we pray.